Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of September 25th, 2019. I'm your host, Sean Higgins, and before we get started, I would like to ask one big favor of everybody who's listening today. If you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get tips and tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. All right, now that we've covered that on today's show, I had the opportunity to talk with U.S. Women's Speed Team member and World Cup podium finisher Jacqueline Wiles. At 27 years old, Jackie has been a rising star on the powerhouse U.S. Women's World Cup Speed Team for a number of years now and has earned her way to two third-place downhill finishes in the World Cup, one coming in 2017 in Altenmark, Sockensee, Austria, and the other coming almost exactly one year later in Cortina d'Ampezzo, Italy, site of the 2021 World Championships. Jackie burst onto the international scene in 2014, not only making her World Cup debut, but also scoring her first points and qualifying for the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics, where she finished a respectable 26th in her Olympic debut. Quite simply, things were on the up and up for the native of Portland, Oregon, as she methodically clawed her way into the top 30 in the world over the next several seasons. However, That momentum came to a screeching halt just days after her second World Cup podium in the final race series before the 2018 Pyeongchang Games, where Wiles suffered a traumatic knee injury after a hard fall in Garmisch-Partenkirchen, Germany. ACL, MCL, LCL, meniscus, tib-fib. There wasn't much left in her knee that wasn't damaged from her crash. Jackie spent nearly the next year and a half rehabbing and returned to snow for the first time back in April in Mammoth Mountain, California. After a successful reintroduction to the slopes, she recently returned from her first full training camp with the team in Portillo, Chile, where she strapped on her downhill skis for the first time since her crash and now has plans to race a full season on the World Cup. Before we hear from Jackie, I would like to take just a little bit of time to highlight some of the recent pieces published on SkiRacing.com. Contributor Edie Thies Morgan caught wind of a pretty interesting, albeit unusual, story of one Vermont U-12 racer's efforts to pay his way to fall training camp in Colorado. 11-year-old Abe Musty rides a bicycle-powered cotton candy machine at various events in his home state, selling his tasty treats as he pedals his way to a successful ski season. Do us a favor, check it out, and give Abe some props. Another one of our contributors, Monica Hubner, sat down with European boot guru Florian Watchinger to talk about his career making boots for some of the fastest skiers in the world, including Austrian legend Hermann Meyer. Florian also explains what he thinks is the biggest thing holding young racers back when it comes to their equipment, over-tinkering with their boot setup. Check out the whole piece for yourself and let us know if you agree with Florian. About a year ago, racers and parents across the country noticed something peculiar about the shelves at their local ski shops. The coveted and pricey bars of fluorocarbon wax that racers had used for that extra bit of speed on race day for decades had become near impossible to find from coast to coast as well as with popular online retailers. Just what was going on with the supply of fluoro wax? I was able to talk with the CEO of Swix and Toco in the United States, Stephen Poulin, to find out. 
The answer, as it turns out, is a complicated one. So can you still buy floors in the United States? You'll just have to read the piece to find out. Lastly, our publisher Claire Brown spent some time down in Chile at the legendary Portillo Resort this summer, and she and staff writer Mackenzie Moran put together an amazing photo essay on the history of the high-altitude destination and its deep connection to the ski racing world that goes all the way back to 1965, years before the inception of the modern World Cup. You definitely don't want to miss that one. To read all of those stories and so much more, head on over to SkiRacing.com. And coming up after a quick break will be my interview with Jackie Wiles. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right, now we'll get you back to the show. All right, welcome back to Tips and Tales. And on the phone with me this week, we have none other than the U.S. Women's Speed Team's Jacqueline Wiles. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for having me. appreciate it. Awesome. So I hear you just got back from some well-earned beach vacation time with the family down in the Cayman Islands. Tell us a little bit about that. What was it like to step away from the training and the gym and the snow and uh, get some time in the sun? Yeah, it was a nice vacation with family. It's good to get away from winter for a moment. Uh, I've just been in Portillo, Chile for two weeks, getting back to uh, some skiing on some longboards. So it was pretty great going from straight winter to full-on warm summer and uh, getting to spend quality time with them this week. That sounds great. So talking a little bit more about your prep period as a whole, you had a significant amount of time off with a serious knee injury, but you got back on skis for the first time in Mammoth a little earlier in the spring, and then you just had your first real in-gates camp in uh, in Portillo. What has that transition been like for you, and what was that moment like when you clicked into those skis in Mammoth and slid down the hill for the first time in over a year? Yeah, being off snow for that long was brutal to try to stay in it and have the mindset of I'm still a racer with realizing how bad the injury was. Um, obviously, it was, yeah, there's a lot of mental hurdles to get through. And, you know, the first one, um, the first real challenge of getting back on snow, seeing how it would feel. And right away, once I clicked in, it, it felt amazing this past spring. And and right then, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this, this is my happy place. This is where I'm supposed to be, all the hard work really paid off, and um, each day it's just getting a little bit more comfortable, pushing my knee a little bit into new um, levels of intensity, and just trying to feel like a ski racer again, and, and each camp I feel like I've taken a whole new step to be back to where I was, and it's been really exciting, and yeah, like I said, being in Portillo on, on long skis for the first time was, I feel like, a, a good relief in a sense that I felt like, okay, like I can still turn these things. My knee feels great. So it's been fun, been a fun progression. Mm -hmm. And speaking 
to some of these mental hurdles you had to jump over throughout your recovery, you have a, a very close relationship with Lindsey Vaughn, something that has gone back to your early years on the U.S. ski team. And Lindsey dealt with her own fair share of traumatic injuries throughout her career. And now that she's retired and out of the picture competitively, what kind of words of wisdom did she share with you throughout this process? And, and how has the dynamic on the women's team changed with without her there? Lindsay's uh, an amazing teammate and friend and will always be. And yeah, she's throughout the process is very encouraging and supportive. And obviously she's been through so many injuries and um, she's definitely an inspiration just to see that hard work pays off. And and if you set your mind in rehab and every, anything is possible. Um, so yeah, she's been very helpful. It's sad to come back to the team and not have her there. And a couple of the other girls, we were so stacked and had a big group. And uh, yeah, it's definitely been a, it's been different coming back to to a smaller group. But you know, we still have a solid um, team, and and it's been fun to get back in the mix with the team and the camaraderie, and um, kind of have that teammate. Um, fun again and just being on snow with your friends and skiing and everyone's driving well so um yeah I mean there's definitely a big hole that was kind of um you know started when they all left and but I think we're gonna be in a really good place and we're having a lot of fun yeah and and one thing that really struck me it was the day that you were injured and I was able to interview Lindsay in the finish that day and I asked her about you and she said she was so kind of frustrated with the whole situation because she saw so much of herself in you I'm wondering what that meant to you as a young racer to see the, the greatest woman ski racer of all, all time see herself in you, and, and did that add pressure? Did that inspire you? How did you take that? And, and obviously you've had success in the World Cup with a couple of podium finishes, but how did you handle that comparison, and what was that relationship like? Yeah, Lindsay believing in me, I, I felt from the beginning she's been such a great role model and mentor, and for her to say that, I mean, it's very exciting and humbling and if I can be just even like the slightest bit of what she sees in herself like it, it means so much and it's cool to, to hear that from her um yeah it's you know she's been through many injuries and come back but she's such a fighter and to be able to see you know what she was able to accomplish and have kind of that friendship um you know, I just want to keep going out there and doing the best that I can and, uh, yeah, uh, make her and her, her foundation proud. Mm-hmm. And and do you think there's been a member of the team that has kind of stepped up to fill that leadership role? Or, or do you even think that Lindsey Vaughn's shoes can be filled? Or, or are you all striving to do that as a team? I don't think any of us are trying to kind of fill those shoes because I, I don't think that they can be filled. I think we just want to carry on the legacy of, the U.S. women's downhill team being a powerhouse. We were for so many years. And so I, I just think it's it's more that we want to be back to being a dominant force every weekend that we compete. Uh, we still have, I feel like, so many dynamics that are changing within the group with, um, you know, different athletes coming and going. And, I mean, Loren, with her injury, taking her out, and Alice and I just coming back, and then Breezy with her injury, and then other Alice, um, you know, poor Alice was on the road by herself at the end of last year. So I feel like there's so many moving parts. But, um, yeah, I don't. 
we were kind of just all gelling together and just trying to unite as a team and be really strong as a unit. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit more about the the overall team dynamic. I think at least it struck me since I've been following the sport full time how close the American women's speed team is in particular, whether it's you and, and you mentioned your other teammates, Alice McKinnis, Alice Merriweather, Lauren Ross, Bridgie Johnson, and, and even going back to some older athletes like Stacey Cook and Leanne Smith, who are now retired from the sport. That closeness seemed so unique to me and something that I hadn't seen on either the men's or the women's side. I, I know the men have done a lot to foster that environment with American Downhiller and all of that, but it seems to come so naturally to you guys. Do you think that was a big part of your success and, and the team's success over the last 10 or so years? Yeah, I definitely think that it was a huge part of the, our success. Everyone was out there helping each other, pushing each other, being just great teammates, motivating one another, and I feel like it really was a reflection on the hill. Um, everyone was was always just driving well, and I was lucky to come in at a time where you know there was it was such a strong team. I think the year before that I came on, everyone had podiums, and everyone was just in a really good place. Um, and it, as a 21 year old fresh on the scene, I was just so excited to learn as much as I could from everyone. And, and you kind of just see the dynamic that they had and how everyone was wanting to work as a group. Uh, that's something that our, our head coach, Chip, has always instilled. And we noticed that, you know, working as a unit and, like, genuinely wanting our friends and teammates to do well were going to be uh, way more powerful and as strong as a team. So it's, yeah, it's a cool environment to be a part of for sure. Yeah, and talking a little bit about your upbringing, you're from the Pacific Northwest, your hometown is Portland, Oregon, and and you and Loren Ross are both products of that part of the country. Is there a uniqueness about growing up in ski racing in the Pacific Northwest that makes you particularly adept to the the speed disciplines on the World Cup Tour? I'm not sure if there's like a direct correlation of being from the Northwest. I think Loren and I just have it in our blood that we love speed and want to go fast and love that feeling of kind of pushing yourself to the limit um you know it's definitely a unique place and that i feel like the mountains here are beautiful like there's a lot of terrain that you get to play with um the snow's a little bit more wet and and heavy and i feel like you learn to adapt to kind of tougher conditions so um i think it's it's good in the sense that we've kind of grown up with nasty conditions so we're used to that so it's not as like tough on race day mm-hmm. um but yeah it's a great place to grow up i, I love growing up on mount hood and um so i love coming home to it absolutely and, and looking ahead to this winter obviously you had your first in gate camp earlier this month and you you have some more on snow projects before the race season gets underway later into the summer into the fall have you had discussions with trainers coaches or, or doctors about the load that you can handle this season Will it be a full World Cup schedule, or will you kind of be easing your way back into it? And, and can we expect to see you in the gate in Lake Louise? Yeah, I'm super excited. I plan on starting all of the World Cup speed events. Um, so far, we're, we're pushing my knee a little bit more every camp, and it's been responding in such a positive way that, I, yeah, I don't see why not. So I'm, like, psyched to get back out there traveling and, I'm getting back on the tour, and yeah, I'm just going to take it one day at a time still. It's obviously been 
a big process, um, but I know once I get that first race done, I'm just going to be like psyched and ready to keep going. And you say you've taken this whole process one day at a time. Has that been kind of the theme from the day of the injury until now? It'll be almost two years since you stepped into a World Cup starting gate when, when you finally do. When you first got hurt, did you know it would take this long to get back? And was it always a one foot in front of the other mentality for you? Or did you always have your eyes on the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I definitely thought I would be able to be back sooner. Um, but originally in Garmisch, when I had all of the x-rays and imaging done, it didn't seem as bad. So I was pretty positive and optimistic that, you know, six to eight months I would be back. It seemed doable. And, um, yeah, I thought, thought, why not? And then once I got to Vail and got imaging done there, um, it was like 10 times worse than what I thought. So finding that was obviously devastating and was like hard to kind of wrap my head around and realize what I was in for and if I would even ever feel normal again if like not many athletes would come back from an injury um that was that bad so yeah there's a lot of questions but I I had to just think each day and if I thought too far ahead I, I would just get overwhelmed because I knew I had such a long time and especially like at the beginning it's just very tedious of doing your exercises a couple times a day and it just gets a little mundane so I just had to take it day by day and work as hard as as I could and I had that drive to get back and wanted to prove to myself that I could um so it's been very empowering and knowing that if I set my mind to anything, especially when you have, I feel like some odds against you, it was really empowering to overcome an injury like this. Yeah. And I'm curious when you were going through this process, were you still involved with skiing? Were you, were you talking to your teammates or did you kind of want to disconnect and distract yourself with things that had nothing to do with winter? I did want to, be still involved and follow it and know what's going on. And I did that for about the first half of the season. And then it, it just kind of like got too hard where I was like, I don't, it, I just kind of want to not think about it because it is hard to like, like not be there. Um, yeah, but, but definitely for, for a good amount of time, I, you know, I feel like it was a good time to learn a lot about myself and kind of, go back to school and look at what I'm going to eventually want to do after ski racing. So it was really positive. I feel like I, I grew as a person, learned a lot about myself, kind of established, you know, going back to school and having other hobbies outside of skiing. And I think that's going to help my skiing now as well, coming back into it. That's awesome. So what are you studying and, and what will your degree be? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to school at, the, um, at Utah Valley University. And I'm studying to become a pilot, so I'm going to get my bachelor's in aviation. And i um, been taking flying lessons, and it's been so much fun to have something outside of the gym to be excited about and work towards. So, yeah, I'm loving it. That sounds really exciting. So do you have a family history in aviation? Uh, no, my uncle flew, my grandpa flew, but nothing, like, professionally, just for fun. And, yeah, I've always just loved flying but never really thought that I could do it as a career and then with getting injured and kind of thinking oh what am I going to do after like I still want to do something exciting and 
Julie Glusker, who's awesome, and she really helped me out a lot. So I didn't realize how many wonderful resources the ski team has. And so I went up and chatted with her, and she kind of helped me figure out, you know, what a good option for me would be. That sounds amazing. So I guess you could say you'll be uh, transitioning from flying down mountains to flying over them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So talking a little bit more about this coming season, I know setting uh, results-based goals after an injury can sometimes not be the best way to go about coming back, but do you have goals for yourself or do you have expectations for yourself this World Cup season? I think I'd be lying if I said I didn't have any goals or expectations. I don't want to put too much pressure and like set a certain like place that I want to be. Um, you know, I think it's, I have no idea like where I'm going to be in terms of like how I place and what I'm going to be racing like, um, just cause that's a whole nother level of intensity. So, um, I mean, I, I definitely have sat down with our coaches and talked about like, you know, short term goals, long term goals. Um, but I mean, really, I just want to go out there and try to get back to where I was, you know, before I got hurt. Um, I have no idea how long that'll take, but yeah, I'm just going to go out there every weekend and give it my best and just be proud of of myself for where I'm at and yeah, have fun. Mm -hmm. And, And do you feel like since this season doesn't have a world championships or an Olympics that there's no added pressure to make a championship team? I know you've made a number of them in the past. Does that take a little bit of pressure off of you knowing that there's no major event for you to aim for this year? It's definitely the perfect thing to come back. I think it it's great that I'll be able to build a little bit more each weekend and not, yeah, like have those pressures of trying to make a big championship team. And um, it's kind of like I can ease my way back into it this year, which is nice. All right, Jackie. Well, thank you so much. That was a, a really enlightening conversation, and I'm sure everyone listening enjoyed it as well. Best of luck this season, and we will see you out there. Yeah, looking forward to it. I can't wait. Thank you, Sean. All righty. Thank you. See ya. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.